This is Alex. I want to thank you for listening to episode two of our podcast. Chris and I were joined by Adam, our third race director, uh, to give an introduction to him. We get into some discussions about what inspires us to run, a little bit about other sports, touch on the Big Dogs Backyard Ultra Marathon. And a lot more. Be on the lookout for upcoming polls to vote on the new name of the podcast. And thank you again for listening. Are you ready now? No. Okay. Hello and welcome to another episode of our happy nameless podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Chris. And for the first time, we have Adam with us today. Adam, welcome back from Orlando. It's been a really busy week for you, but uh, you want to give a little introduction? Uh, No. Okay. (laughs) I didn't want to be recorded. I already told you that, so (laughs) we're on here. Okay. Uh, I'm Adam, Alex's older brother. Uh, I was in Orlando watching soccer games last week. Started a new job on Monday, and I'm wrapping up my first week at the job uh, today. Um, but I'm one of the tri directors with Chris and Alex, and um, some of the feedback that we've gotten uh, early on in the podcast is that it's boring. So I think they want me to come on to stop being boring. Shout out to Andrew Hackett. (laughs) (laughs) That is accurate. (laughs) It's an exciting week for you, too, because the Crosstown Shootout's tomorrow. Is this the most exciting week that you've had in a long time? New job. You went to Florida. You get to be on the podcast. And Xavier's going to beat Cincinnati by 50 tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, the podcast is way down on the list. But uh, there is there's a lot of stuff um, that I'm doing this week. I don't like all the things that you've said about this podcast so far. Yeah, this might be your last episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, my kids both have um, basketball scrimmages tomorrow. So we'll see how those go. I'm coaching one of them, and uh, we haven't talked about defense yet, so... <laughs> I don't, I don't think it's going to go very well. Well, you got to score more points to win anyway. Good one. So uh, I talked a little bit on the introduction episode about how you and I kind of trained together um, leading up to the 09 Columbus Marathon. Uh, you hurt your knee in, what, mid-August um, when we were doing, like, 15 miles. It was se- it was a 17 17- – uh, mile training run. So I just yeah. I walked the last two. I remember where it was. It was like on McCrite and Limestone by the Family Dollar or Dollar Tree or whatever was there. That's a fun walk home. No, it wasn't fun at all. Uh, yeah, and then I couldn't walk for like two weeks. I was yeah. I had to walk up steps to get into work, and I felt really dumb. Like having to pull myself up the 
with a railing on the steps. Um, but yeah, I haven't done much distance since then. How's that? You retired after that? Yeah, permanent cross training since then. Plus, I mean, you kind of <clears throat> fully embrace the the role that you've done for a lot of races, moving from place to place and giving water to people and being like support everywhere along every course. Oh yeah. Um, in races that I'm not involved in, um, I think I'm a, I'm as professional of a fan as, as you can get. And I've run, um, a few years ago in Columbus with our sister, we ran, I ran like 11 miles. Yeah. Because her husband stopped. <laughs> yeah. We ran like three miles. He was like, I'm dying. He's out. <laughs> He's like, I'll just meet you at the finish line. Yeah. <laughs> I think that gives you a good perspective, though, on stuff that we do for the happy half. Because Alex and I obviously run a lot. So having your perspective of just being a, a spectator an and... and <laughs> Being a spectator and helping out, I think, helps the race uh, a lot. Yeah, um, it's. I think it's a cool race because we bring different perspectives um, into the planning process. And mine is what have what have I seen break down at races, um, kind of logistically or. Um, uh, volunteer wise. Uh, and then you guys are, uh, can give more of the perspective of like, what do I need at which point in the race? Yeah. Um, so I think kind of blending those two things together, uh, helps make our race what, what it has become and hopefully grows into. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I mean, our, not only our running, perspective but like our professional experience it's all similar but it's also unique at the same time to where chris comes at it from a marketing sponsorship social side uh um mostly logistics on that end and adam you're kind of what was your job <laughs> i don't think i ever know what you did why am i here yeah uh, no, I think I think what I do, what I'm good at is is wondering what can possibly go wrong at at any given point and making sure that those things can't happen. Um, so envisioning different scenarios that maybe um, somebody may not think of, um, and then figuring out what we need to do. Uh, to make sure that those things don't happen. So um, it's it's looking at it um, negatively and from a planning standpoint, um, finding all the things that that could possibly um, happen that would negatively negatively affect the race, um, and then uh, planning planning positively uh, for those things not to happen. Um, so that the race goes smoothly. Whereas like, <clears throat> uh, going into last year, 
we talked about for months, like, hey, a lot of stuff is going to happen on race day that we wouldn't have accounted for. Um, so let's be prepared for that and, and, and be prepared to make decisions on the fly. But it really didn't happen. And I think that's because uh, we planned so much in advance um, that we really did account for, for a lot of things uh, that may have otherwise been a surprise on race day. Um, that's not to say that those things can't happen in the future because uh, as the race grows and evolves, uh, there's going to be different challenges and different variables. But um, I think if that's a focus, we can, we can mitigate the, a lot of those before they happen. Yeah, 100% agree. There were so many times where we would go over like the course or just get off a meeting with Springfield leadership or somebody and we would feel good about everything and then we'd be talking and something would come up and we'd be like, oh no, like, we got to go back and change this immediately. Like, I don't know how many times that happened, even just with the course design itself. Like we're not going to be able to have this or we need volunteers here, we need police here, whatever. Um, so yeah, like you said, we, I mean, how many of these meetings did we get on last year just <clears throat> randomly? Like, hey, can you guys meet and then talk about it, figure it out, and then that was it. Also because- I think that, that, was, that was one stress point uh, on race day was, um, I don't think we, I, I think the, the thing, the biggest mistake that we made last year was not planning for um, how long it would take uh, to cross each intersection where we had policemen at. Yep. Um, so then there was overlap where the beginning, uh, the, the fastest finishers were, were almost finished with the race. So they needed police at the, at those final few intersections. Um, and they weren't yet there because not everybody had crossed before. Um, so I, <laughs> I went out on spring street in the middle of spring street with a gator and just had my hands up to stop <laughs> traffic for like the first few, uh, guys that were coming. Um, but I did have, uh, I did have Zach Massey on the phone. Um, and I, I saw him coming down the hill by Mershon. So that was only for like 15 or 20 seconds that I had to do that. Yeah, I remember at, at Fountain, it was, it was the same thing. Like you finished there and we ran right back to there because we, we were waiting on somebody else to come. And it was, <laughs> it was funny because uh, either our third or fourth place runner saw us there and they were cheering. And we were like, yeah, yeah, great job, great job. And he saw us, and for some reason, he thought that we were telling him to turn down Fountain. So he started turning. So we had to, like, run at him and bring him back. But it ended up being fine. But it was just one of those things that we noted about. He had just signed up uh, right before the race. That morning, yeah. Yeah. That goes to show, though, as much as you – as much as we plan for that kind of stuff and we think we have it all figured out, there's still those things that, uh, and probably most runners wouldn't have even noticed, but to us, that's uh, 
stuff that we can improve upon just to make the race even better in the future. Yeah. And I've, I think, I think that thinking that you have it all figured out is a, is really dangerous mm-hmm. uh, because then you're comfortable and complacent. Um, and uh, you're, you're less able to react to any issues that may arise. So um, knowing that you don't have it all figured out, uh, I think keeps you alert um, and allows you to kind of be more agile um, when you're solving problems on the fly. Yeah, definitely. If there's one thing I am not, it is comfortable or complacent. Pretty much ever. <laughs> Those are not two words that I've ever used to describe. I think that's <laughs> that's more personal. That's not that's not a podcast, Chris. That's a that's a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Adam, we touched on being a spectator for a race, and we were talking about this a little bit before, but a couple months back you and I especially got really into being virtual spectators for the big dogs backyard ultra world championships in bell buckle, Tennessee. Uh, when I think world, it was, that's where I think. Yeah. In, uh, Lazarus Lake's backyard. <laughs> but, so for those that are listening that are unfamiliar with what a backyard ultramarathon is, it is a 4.16667 mile course. Six repeating. Repeating, of course. <laughs> uh, that you run at the top of every hour. You have to finish within an hour and then start at the top of the next hour. Uh, the reason for that distance is because within 24 hours, you run 100 miles. Um, so the guy that invented it, his name's Lazarus Lake. He lives in Tennessee. Uh, you might recognize the name because he is the guy that also invented the uh, Barkley Marathon, um, which there's documentaries about that. It's another insane race. But um, this one, the original Backyard, has become the world championships during the day they run that loop through basically the mountains uh and then at night when you can't see where you're running in the mountains it goes to a road running course and you might think it goes on for i don't know a day or something some of the better better runners might last a little longer the guy that won this year's name is harvey lewis he's from cincinnati uh, he start. They started on what Friday morning, um, late October, and he ran 85 loops on that course, which ended up being just over 354 miles. And they had a Facebook stream of it. Sort of. For, yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two cameras there and basically you watched nothing and waited for runners to come by but it was entertaining because there were so many people like in the chat that were just talking about whatever for days 
asking where Courtney Doe Walter was. Celebrating <laughs> um, when a log would show up. <laughs> a log. But we watched that. We started watching that that Friday and told as many people as we could about it. And it was one of the most fascinating things to watch. One, because it's so... Like, from our end, we put so much thought into every little detail of this race. And then we watched this, and it's, like, the best of the best ultramarathoners in the world. And it's literally just this trail on this guy's property. And, like, there's just a start-finish line. Part of it, you turn around on the road and run back through the finish line. And it's, like, it's so primitive. But it's it's awesome. It was unbelievable to watch. Yeah, it's a it's a bare bones event, <clears throat> um, but it's all about the runners. Like yeah. nothing. There's no bells and whistles, um, volunteers or staff or or whatever. It's Lazarus who rings the cowbell at the beginning of every loop, and then um, what? You're allowed one one crew member. Uh, one crew member. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the cool part was, um, the camera at the end, um, just seeing like the camaraderie of, uh, the different crews and different runners that, that had dropped out, uh, or didn't make the time, um, they would stick around and, and help out. Like, uh, Chris Roberts ran what 330 miles, right? um 340 miles or whatever it ended up being um and then just like uh asked if he could pick up trash or or something when it was finished yeah um so that's something where the race isn't about the event it's it's only about the race and mm -hmm. which makes sense i mean with those guys that you're talking about a different level of human mm -hmm. um it's not somebody that that trains and for a specific distance like how do you train to run 345 miles exactly um, it's something different than a start to finish race or a point-to-point -point race um but yeah it's, that was that was cool and inspiring to see i told uh my team on monday uh i talked to them about it and they were what 230 miles in um mm -hmm. at practice uh so then the next day throughout the day everybody's texting me like hey is who's still in it is everybody in it and they were jumping on the facebook stream and um i had an, another guy that uh talked to me that was like i i didn't do any work today i just watched that stream for like eight hours yeah Yeah, that was uh, yeah, it was crazy. And when it, it finally ended, it was like I don't know. It felt emotional. Like, and I, all I did was sit there and watch the entire time. But then you see, like, it's pitch black. Chris Roberts finished second. Well, I, what's the term? He got the assist. Mm -hmm. Um. So he got the assist, and Harvey Lewis is out by himself. It's pitch black. You couldn't see it for, what, half an hour, and you're just hoping that he 
that you see him at some point cross by a camera. And then when he did, it was just like people went nuts. That's how sadistic it is, though. Um, if Harvey Lewis didn't finish, even though he was the only one still eligible to run, then there would just be there's, no winner. There's no winner. <laughs> After all those Everyone those did not finish. You run for four consecutive days and did not finish. So crazy. It's, it's cruel. Yeah, it is. I think uh, I think one thing we could adopt from that race, though, is uh, as when he got up at the start of every yard, he would get up with his bell and say, three, two, one, happy time, and ring the bell. I think that's how we should start the race from now on, just by yelling happy time. It's got to be something else, though. Happy, like it can be in honor of him, but that's it. <laughs> That's his thing. That's his thing. That's, it yeah, can't that's, be a, we can't use a cowbell and a happy time. Yeah. And wear the same flannel for four straight days and have a <laughs> giant beard. Yeah, there's only one of those guys. Yeah, he is something something else. That was uh it was crazy too because so Harvey Lewis won that and then less than two weeks later paced the full flying pig marathon. Mm-hmm. Just because he yeah. likes it. Yeah. Like you said, he's yeah. a, <laughs> he's a different kind of athlete. He is. Yeah. If I, uh, was running that much. I mean, if I, I ran a full marathon and took like two weeks off and that is not even close to 350, whatever miles he did. <laughs> right. But like you said, that's a different type of human altogether. That's able to do that. It's very, um, it's inspiring when you watch that though. Just thinking of those guys getting up every hour. You know <laughs> how, I mean, you don't know how yes. tired you are. Know, 13 consecutive marathons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in four days. Not a, yeah, not a marathon on 13 consecutive days. Just 13 consecutive marathons. Without just kept going. Without sleeping. Yeah. For more than seven minutes at a time. Yeah. What's crazy too is so he set the world record. It's crazy that somebody will break that. It's going to get broken. It's going to get broken soon. Like when was the first one? Not very long ago, right? Right. And what was the record? The record was like 17, 24, or something like that. It gets broken all the time. Yeah. And I heard this is this is kind of off topic, but kind of kind of on topic. Um there were people talking about um how like do athletes improve over time? Like is a is an average 
basketball player now better than an average basketball player 20 years ago or runners or whatever name name whatever it is and i i think the answer is yes but i don't think there's just something innately more athletic about kids now it's just that people are always finding out more information um about their sport or discipline uh or whatever it is um so then now somebody starting has access to all that information and they don't have to find it out. So the same amount of work um, where now if they're finding out something new, it's something that's never been done uh, before. So like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example, but say Johan Cruyff in 74, um, revolutionizes soccer uh, by implementing this this new style of play. Well, now everybody knows that style of play. Um, so so that's you're learning the game with that as part of the context. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't have to um, you're not playing the game and then that's something separate and then and then you have to go learn that. You're you're learning it um, you're learning it as a core part of the a core part of the game um so now if you're figuring out something new it's going to be something that builds on top of that um so i think that's why people um across all disciplines are are better now not all disciplines you know what i mean um yeah we're not like better jousters (laughs) But I think I think that's why records get broken all the time. Like, okay, this is how Harvey Lewis ran three forty-five. Um, this is what he ate. Uh, this was the rest that he got. This was um, this was how much he was recovering. Or um, <clears throat> so everybody has access to all that information, and you can you can replicate that and then build. Um, so that's now the starting point. That's like. Yeah. Um... Sorry, go ahead, Chris. Long. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, was, that was really long. <laughs> I think that's a really good point, though. And uh, I, I think a lot of like the science gets better with how to train and muscles that are important for these types of things, and the gear gets better. I mean, he's not he's not running all those miles in Converse for a reason. Uh, he's, how, how dare you? It, it changes. It, Converse is a great shoe. I have my own pair of converts i don't run in them yeah but the, just the gear gets better over time the shoes the uh, shirts the you know everything that makes it uh easier for not easier just a, more possible to to do more things yeah agreed um it's kind of along the lines of uh like steph curry he mm-hmm. is about to break the all-time three-point record, and he's done it in almost half the games as Ray Allen, who holds the current record. I think Basically. he'll do it in like he'll do it in like eight hundred games. I think he's played like seven hundred ninety-six. 
Uh, and Ray Allen played 1,300 games. 1,300 games. <laughs> and Reggie Miller. I mean, those are two of the best shooters of all time, and no one's going to argue that. But you look at the stats, and it's like, how can you argue that either of them are better shooters than this guy? But he started at a different point to what you were saying. He started with knowledge. He also started with a dad that was a good shooter in the NBA. But, yeah, but there's been, a lot of, there's been a lot of good shooters in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, but – he was when he was a kid, Reggie Miller and Ray Allen existed. Yep. So he could watch them. Like nobody nobody was watching a three point shot uh, as a main part of an offense when Ray Allen was a kid. <laughs> everything everything ran through the post or um, you could play more physical, you could hand check on the so the the game evolved and he saw he grew up watching Ray Allen um, being a three-point threat as as a main part of an offense. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy watching. He's usually the smallest guy on the floor, and it's always been like that. And Maybe. then watching him, just I think that's a little. I think that's a little bit of a misnomer. Yeah, he's like six three. Yeah, but in the NBA, isn't that pretty small? I don't know. There's not many guys my height playing in the NBA. <laughs> Chris Paul. Yeah, well. I'll tell Donovan Mitchell. I bet he's. I bet Donovan Mitchell's six two. Right, but there aren't many Donovan Mitchells or Chris Pauls. Six foot one. Six foot one with a wingspan of six ten. Wow. What? Seems that's what it says. I don't think that's true. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> I want him to prove it. Let's get on the pod. That can, that's a new business opportunity is accurately measuring the wingspan of NBA players because whoever's doing it right now yeah. is not doing a good job. That is for sure. There's no way. Yeah. Um, actually, I think, Adam, uh, what you were talking about, they talked about uh, when uh, Jocko Willink was on the latest uh, Joe Rogan podcast. They were talking about that with um, UFC fighters and guys now, kids now that are being brought up, you know, having jujitsu knowledge that most kids. 20 years ago, had no idea about. Most professionals 20 years ago didn't know about. Mm. But they're starting. That's, right. That's probably a better example. That's My answer would have been a lot shorter if I knew. It made sense. If I knew anything about that. Yeah. <clears throat> nah, yeah. yeah. Speaking of inspiring, <laughs> Chuck Willink. That guy. Do you follow him on Instagram? Either of you? Yes. Because no, I want to feel good about myself. I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you ever need to, uh, if you don't want to work out ever or run or do the dishes or anything, just go check out his Instagram and you'll do whatever. <laughs> you'll run through a wall. You'll break the dishes while you're doing this. <laughs> yeah. It's very intense. <laughs> yeah. Every day, 
anytime I think like I'm getting up early to run and then I stay in bed and then I look at his Instagram and it's like he just worked out for two hours at 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. Like, thanks. Thanks, dude. Yeah. Uh, so, Adam, how uh, how do you feel about your Orlando trip? Was it successful? Was it worth it? Was it fun? <laughs> uh, successful what remains to be seen. How many kids How many kids are we getting? I don't know. Here are my here are my notes front back the big long it's about 12 pages of notes this game was bad this game was boring <laughs> <laughs> this game was really good. Sounds like our podcast reviews. There's super really in-depth good. notes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's all you need to be a college soccer coach? Yeah. <laughs> this game was bad. <laughs> <laughs> just, just write a summary of the game. <laughs> you get together. Uh, no, we've got um, a lot of players that we're contacting. And uh, early response is good, but there's a long way to go. Good. I think you so successful, successful in the sense that successful in the sense that I got to watch soccer in 78 degree weather for three days, but um. How it benefits us, we'll see. We were talking last week about how you said that you had like 55 games that you were planning on watching. Yeah. Or was it 55 teams, one of those? Uh, no, it was games. Um, like by the end of it, how do you – like do you still have the same enthusiasm going into it, going, oh, man, we really want to watch this kid, or is it just like, man, this is just – the same thing again there's no there's there's games that you know you want to see um and then so what i what we do is like look at the schedule um look at the field layout like the a field map um so you say i know we want to be on this field because uh the team's from cincinnati or whatever Mm -hmm. um so who's playing around them we'll look at that uh so then what I do is um, kind of watch watch a game for 10 or 15 minutes, um, enough to get a feel for how it's going and what the level is. Um, and then I'll turn and watch the game uh, maybe behind it or on the, on the next field over. Um, so in the span of like in that four o'clock game slot, we can watch – we can get a pretty good sense of about four games. So that's eight teams. Um, you can watch eight teams at four o'clock. Um, but you're not, you're not watching 90 minutes of, of all eight teams. Um, right. But you can get, you can watch a half hour. 
Um, and then sometimes, sometimes after 10 or 15 minutes, you realize the level's not what you want. What you want um, yeah. So you don't have to go back to that. Um, and I'll maybe go back to one of the other games where uh, the level is really high. Um, but yeah, it's, it is funny at the end that my notes got a lot less detailed. Um, and there were so many players down there that uh, it turned into like, just instead of like writing who the kid was just, <laughs> or, or what, how they played, it was just writing yes, or like yes with a thousand exclamation points. <laughs> <laughs> And then you go back and find out exactly who the kid was and look up more on him if you want to. <laughs> yeah. Um, at one of the sites, uh, I would have to find like a team representative. Um, usually they find us, but um, sometimes you have to find them and they'll give you a brochure or if they don't have it, they'll email it. Um, but at Wide World of Sports, um, they emailed a PDF, like a 200 page PDF before. So uh, all you had to write down was a number and then go back later. Um, it has all their contact information, coach information, graduation year. Smart. Sometimes like intended college major, uh, which can be helpful. Mm -hmm. Like for example, we don't have engineering. So if somebody wants to say, wants to major in mechanical engineering, uh, we'll contact them. Um, but uh, we can tell them pretty quick, like, hey, we don't have engineering. And uh, they'll say, oh, okay, thanks for no thanks. So that's a, it's an easy conversation. There's not much you can do about that. Right. Yeah. I remember Dad was your team rep for a while for some of the showcases down in yeah. uh, Florida at the Sun Bowl. Yeah. He, uh, Bobby Clark from Notre Dame would seek him out. They would yeah. talk to each other for a while at uh, at all those tournaments. He got sought out by a lot of people, soccer wise. I think because he was always he was always away. Uh, like when we were in goal, he was always away, kind of down by where we were, and that I think attracted more people to him to be able to have an actual conversation, like by just by himself and he he was real about what he would talk about yeah he would he wouldn't try to sell anybody anything either like right sometimes um though you'll get handed a book and and they'll be like you have to look at uh number 12 and and then you see the name and you realize 12 is their son and you're like all, all right, right. <laughs> I'll, I'll make the assessment <laughs> I don't think Dad was ever saying, look at this keeper right here. No, it's probably like, please don't look at this goalkeeper. <laughs> I was going to say that. I was going to say, to be fair, he probably didn't have to say that. I think a lot of them were probably there to watch you anyway. <laughs> well, or I I wouldn't get much work during a game. <clears throat> so good in front. It's probably yeah, sure. uh, probably uh, not a benefit of having a really good team if you're a keeper. <laughs> Maybe you want to play oh, on like a team, a team that's a little, a team a little leaky in the back. <laughs> yeah, that's what. <laughs> that's a, that's interesting. <laughs> you want to be on a bad team if you're a goalkeeper. Yeah, I, yeah, I had a big college showcase. I never get noticed because my team's too good. <laughs> that worked out. 
I'd say. Yeah, I think you're all right. <laughs> that's sports. I think you're all right at sports. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you. Means a lot at 37. <laughs> hey, you're still playing. Yeah, more than <laughs> any of us. At a pretty high level. I think this is called the Adam episode. Yeah. yeah. Makes me feel weird. You yeah. started by saying that you're uh, never gonna never gonna be on the podcast again and now we're, we're just, just gonna get uh, as much information out of you as possible. Just, yeah. Uh yeah, we can just make this biographical if you want. <laughs> I think that's the information that people wanna know. Well I think they do listener, want to know what one listener, my mom. What our uh, what our name's gonna be? Yeah, somebody give us a name. That can be. Um, we can have a contest. What do they win? The pride of. Uh, yeah, we can give an entry to the race. Yeah, we can give an entry. Unless it's a volunteer. Take um. <laughs> They're a good volunteer. Take requests, and then we can vote, or take suggestions, and then we can have a vote on Facebook or something. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do that. We will have a prize or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe it's an entry or a shirt or a, a something. Yeah. We don't want to promise to give <laughs> yeah. stuff away that we get. Oh, we can't. We actually can't do that. A $1,000. You're not going to win a thousand dollars. We need somebody to donate a thousand dollars. Somebody will give you a thousand dollars. Yeah, we don't know yet, but uh, <laughs> you come up with a clever name. I think we should have come prepared with some suggestions. Yeah, I, I had uh, received a couple via text and conversation, and uh, I should have written them down. But I didn't. What were but they? There, there, there are some good ones. I can't remember what they were, uh, but I will post them when we get the uh, poll up to vote. I'll make sure those ones are included. The definitely not boring podcast. <laughs> For sure. Very exciting podcast. <laughs> that was the first thing I heard. About our podcast. First piece of feedback. Hey, you need to do something else with the podcast. It's really boring. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. We were just waiting for Adam to come on. I think that this increased the level immensely. Yep. Yeah, thanks. If, uh, if any one word describes me, it's exciting. <laughs> enthralling exhilarating are you just reading a thesaurus <laughs> right now? A thesaurus. it's on the same they're all on the same page of a thesaurus <laughs> extraordinary i think adam's broken <laughs> yeah so we'll come yeah. up with a name somebody will come up with a name Future episodes, we're going to have some guests. We have a pretty good guest list building up. 
really excited yep. about uh, that. To be fair, to be fair, <laughs> zero confirmed. Oh, but they're all going to. They're all going to be the on. guest ideas. <laughs> we we have a list. Shout out yeah. uh, Bert Kreischer if you're listening, and we know that you are. <laughs> Come on the podcast. <laughs> Bert Kreischer and John Legend are going to be our first two uh, guests that we get together in studio. <laughs> in, in studio, in meaning studio. in my in my living room or in your living room. <laughs> my, I have a piano. Oh, there you go. That's what I like. Probably. We both have Probably. pianos in the background. I have an acoustic piano. There you go. It's the heaviest thing that I've ever been a part of lifting. <laughs> It's not moving. <laughs> not moving anywhere. Oh, speaking of piano, uh, mm. also, mm. we're just going to keep adding more stuff to this podcast, including a, <laughs> a some sort of theme music, some intro music. Yes. So, Mr. Acoustic Heavy Piano. <laughs> we need that in there. Start recording. Cool name. <laughs> what do you what do you want it to be? Like party music? Sad? Yeah. Uh I think that it should be individual for each episode, depending on kind of how the vibe how, <laughs> how, the, how the vibe of the episode is. We need you to write an individual piece. If you could orchestrate that. Just a spinning song on every <laughs> every podcast episode. <laughs> I love that song. I don't. Oh. That's for today's because uh it's kind of chaotic. It's yeah. Yeah, that's it. That should be just the podcast podcast description for this episode. Just it'll get <laughs> it'll we'll get better. It'll get better. <laughs> That's <laughs> episode two. It gets better. <laughs> Not this episode, but in the future, we promise. This is pretty much how our meetings go when we talk about the race. It gets to, we start out with a lot of really race heavy stuff and then Whoa. go into music, and Adam <laughs> plays the piano for us. and recites the thesaurus um yeah that is funny like we talked about that uh after the race where it's like hey i was thinking of our meetings and i don't know how this race actually happened because <laughs> it doesn't seem like we actually talked about the race uh but then we got to race day and there it was mm -hmm. and it's I, I i think our best one yet this past year what, the race? The race, yeah. Oh, yeah. And now that's the starting point. So mm -hmm. um, how's it improve? Like um, everything else, like it's going to get better if now you have all that information uh, and are looking to improve because you're not complacent or comfortable. That's right. <laughs> Good callback. Thank you. Are we wrapping this up? Yeah. Probably unless you guys have anything else uh, to add. Yeah, next time we record, well, 
next time the three of us record, mm-hmm. probably, uh, you'll have a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what? Allegedly. Yeah. The DNA test is going to be after the kid is born. Turns out it's 100%. <laughs> that crits. That crits. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. All right. Cool. Good job, everybody. Well, goodbye, everyone. Glad I could be part of the podcast. Me too. We're really happy to have you here, Adam. For the race that I'm part of. I don't know what I'm doing on here. Don't know what I do on the race. (laughs) Happy to be here. Just happy, happy to be around. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.